everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm joined here today once again by our producer Jimmy. Hi Jimmy. Hi Steph. And this is the latest episode in our ongoing series. Uh, Jimmy and Steph uh, watch and <laughs> listen to too much crime, true crime content. Yes, we need to get our heads checked. Yes, we have many myriad psychological problems <laughs> and those psychological problems are manifested in a love of the true crime genre in all of its forms, podcast, television, um, and it's book. timely because, you know, there's so many of them at the moment. There is so much true crime content. So we periodically get together to talk about it. Yes. So we have, I think, four podcasts that we're going to talk about today. Yes. Yep. Um, so I'm going to let you start, Jimmy, and I believe you're going to talk about a very timely podcast that is still being produced as we speak. Yes, it is Detective Trap. It is, um, I think, the fourth episode just came out. Uh, this week, mm-hmm. so by the time listeners listen to this, the fifth episode will probably be out. So, it's, uh, and the fifth episode will be the final episode. So, it's a it's a limited series, mm-hmm. and it follows or it tracks um, a detective, so Detective Trap, who is a uh, female detective, who I don't want to say inadvertently, but did stumble across a serial killing, which nobody knew was actually were connected. So she thought she was looking at one specific case and then it turns out that it actually connected to a much larger case. Uh, and it turns out to be about two criminals, two serial killer criminals. And the case is ongoing, so one of them uh, has pled not guilty and will be on trial later, either this year or next year. Uh, so it, it follows the, the rape and murder of, um, I think it was five or six women um, in Anaheim over a period of, I think it was two or three years, mm. I can't remember now. It, was, it wasn't particularly long, mm. although long enough to, to make that much of an impact. And I love it. I love it mainly because I love the insight into this this woman, uh, Jalisa Trapp, who I think is absolutely fascinating as a figure. Um, I love the fact that the first episode deals with her motivations as in why she became a detective. And then it slowly unravels in terms of looking at um, her involvement with this case. And the latest episode, um, so it's a little bit of a, a jump, I think, because I'm going, I'm talking about it before the, uh, the entire thing finishes. So I don't know whether it's actually going to finish on a high note or not. Yeah. But the latest episode was just so brilliant that I absolutely loved it. Because the latest episode was her interviewing, um, or rather, um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Interrogating. Interrogating, yeah. Um, one of the, the criminals. Mm. And it's 50 minutes of basically a 13-hour interrogation. Mm. And what I really loved about this particular episode is the insight into this criminal, this Mm. person, who, oddly enough, I started to sympathise with not so much in terms of what he did, which is absolutely repulsive, but in terms of the type of criminal figures that we don't often see represented which is that he's he's somebody actually with human feelings for mm. the most part. He, I, I think he's very disillusioned with life. Um, well, I mean, I, I have to confess at this point that I have listened as well. Mm. I'm not as in love with it as Jimmy is mm. for some reason, but um, I did find that very interesting in that he, he does specifically say to her, um, I want the death penalty. Yes, and that for me was really, really mm. fascinating because he, he made a, a plea bargain with her, which is that I'll tell you everything. 
in exchange, you give me the death penalty. Mm. And like, seem to want it like now. Yeah, like, like he, take me out the back and shoot me and, now. And shoot me, yes. Yeah. He even makes a joke. You know, in the past, you would just, you know, basically take your gun and shoot me right now, and then yeah, be able and that would, with. and then he seemed to find that a, a really preferable arrangement. Yeah, yeah, and for me, that's just such a sad indictment of society, which has somehow, mm. I, I guess, overlooked this guy to the point that he no longer feels the uh, the desire to live anymore. Mm. That for him, his life is no longer worth living and mm. what he wants more than anything else is death mm. and that kind of despair I think is something you don't often see in in the criminal figures you often see criminals as people who are doing exactly what they want to do uh, who are just basically pleasure seekers whereas this guy seems to be on the verge of the end I guess for him this yeah. is the end of the rope and um, what he wants now is just uh, to, to put a full stop to it I guess yeah, what I thought was interesting about him too is that, again, like well, the thing that I think comes out of all of the true crime listening and viewing and so forth that we do is that criminals are not smart. No. We have this kind of cultural, you know, thing about, you know, these, you know, really over-the-top, this amazing, yeah, these amazing, like really clever uh, serial killers. Mm. And it's it's not true. They're, they're like, the exceptions. Yeah, they're the exceptions because these two, the both, you know, the one that is um, being interrogated and, mm. and his partner in crime and also partner in all sorts of ways, mm. um, they are such idiots they because they're killing with um, tracking devices on them. Yeah. And that's how they were caught because they were um, parolees mm. and they had ankle bracelets on. And so they could very easily track them to the to both the kill site and the dump sites for the bodies. And they've actually cut their ankle bracelets off twice. Yes, they have form. They, it's not like yeah. yeah. So they're not criminal masterminds. They're no. really they're opportunists. They're opportunists, but they're idiots. Yeah. They're not. They're not clever. highly intelligent. No. People who you know manage to you know hide the crimes that they've committed. They've they've done it almost out of luck and out of the fact that they're overlooked by society, they're, they're anonymous to a certain well, extent. And they were killing prostitutes. And they were killing prostitutes. Which is another element. Which is another element that I find very, very sad because um, almost every single episode, almost every single show that I listen to or, or every single story I read about true crime, it's always the prostitutes that the police often overlook. And I can understand why they would say they, that they don't want to look into it because prostitutes often go you know, um, off the grid or you know they move to a different place so it's hard to track them and they want to track people who... Are possibly genuinely missing, but at the same time, it's it's a huge gap. Yeah, because in, society doesn't value because society doesn't value them, and it's been a gap for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, you know, it's uh, prostitutes have always been the easy target for serial killers. Yeah, because they know they they know the police will never yeah look for them because you know there's, there's all sort of moral implications at stake. Um, and I think you know that's that's actually really sad about this particular story. I guess as you're talking, I'm realising what my problem with the show is because mm. I, I like the show, but I don't love it as much as you do. Mm. And I think that what my problem is that is that I'm less interested in Detective Trap, which is, you know, the, the central figure in the show is, mm. is Detective Trap and, you know, the one good police person, etc. Mm. But um, my problem with it is that I'm less interested in her as a person, actually, and I'm more interested in these issues and the crime, mm. um, the crimes that were carried out, but also the crime of negligence. You know, yes. we, we hear the story in the first episode mm-hmm. um, of the mothers of these sex workers who, you know, um, 
have reported their daughters missing and mm. reported, you know, jumped up and down in front of the police and said, you know, what's going on here? And then they, they haven't even, yeah, yeah. they protest, but they haven't even filed them as missing. Yeah. You know, haven't even started, like, even just a kind of cursory, mm. you know, investigation or put them together. Like, you know, all of a sudden, all these sex workers go missing. Like, you've got to think at some point somebody's going to go, well, hang on, there might be a problem yeah. here. But um, they, they care so little. And kind of that was my concern or interest in the show. But then it, it went into, I think, in the second or third episodes, we get a lot on Detective Trapp's, like, life prior to becoming a police officer mm. and why she was a police officer and her fertility struggles, which is interesting, but I kind of don't care as much. <laughs> I just wanted to get back to the actual crime. And usually I'm very um, open to that sort of thing. Mm. But here I just found I wanted to get back to the actual social issues around the crimes Mm. rather than her so much. And, I mean, I find her, you know, moderately interesting. I wouldn't say (laughs) that she's, you know, boring or or obnoxious or whatever. She seems to be a genuinely committed police officer. Maybe, too, I'm also... I, I feel like... I listen to so many true crime and I read about so many true crime things in which the police officers aren't good (laughs) in various ways that I'm kind of, I don't know, feel weird sympathising with a police officer. Well, I think that's actually, interestingly enough, that's actually one of the reasons why I do like it because you hear so many cases of police, you know, Mm, just being such... Yeah. yeah. It's so refreshing for me to finally hear a case of a, a police officer who's dedicated, who's driven, who's passionate, who's compassionate as well. Yeah, well and yes, that is true. She's very compassionate. Yeah. yeah. And and she's you know, she's she's somebody that you would want to look after a case, you know, that mm. uh, involves anybody you love, anybody you care about at all. That you know, is she's, true. You know, yeah. she's she's some she's a, a good example of what a police detective should be. Yes. Well quite. I mean if all police officers were like that. It'd be it'd be fantastic. Yeah, we would have know. none of the serials <laughs> and all of that, yeah. And I guess, you know, maybe that's 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 our different outlook. You have a much more bleak outlook on life. Uh, and I'm, I'm much more I have optimistic. a realistic <laughs> outlook on life, Jimmy. See, I I like that, you know, we we often report on, you know, bad behaviour. We don't often report on good behaviour. Yeah, that is true. And it's for me it's great to finally see a, a police in a good light because I'm sure that not all of them are bumbling idiots and you know, never do the job and certainly in this case we've got examples of police who didn't do their job mm. and as a result more and more women were yeah. dying and more and more women getting killed but we also have an example of one police officer that, that at the very That's least who's, who's doing yeah. you know, a lot of good for the community as well um, and for me th- there was also uh, kind of highlighting that same point that you were making earlier too um, one of the points that was made at the, f- at the end of the fourth episode was that there was one other victim that they didn't even identify. That was a that was a pretty good cliffhanger, I have to say. Yeah, and I just thought, you know, that just sort of shows how um, entrenched this this idea of you know overlooking mm. certain figures within our community mm. that even this dedicated police officer wasn't able to link one other. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see where this particular storyline goes. I don't want to go into too much detail in case it just, you know, blows apart completely. Yeah. But for me, that was that was interesting that um, that there are certainly liminal figures in, in our society who aren't, yeah. you know, getting the attention that they deserve. And as a result, this is what happened. And for me, the entire case revolves around the fact that we, you know, both the um, uh, victims and the criminals are liminal figures. Yes. They're people who, are, who have been forgotten by society. Yes. And it turns out for me, and we're a very sad story about, you know, the fact that we're not doing enough to, to help yeah. some of these people. Um, and the, the love story or the love between the two criminals is oddly, you know, 
interesting for me mm. because of the dynamic between the two of them. Because you know, I when I was listening to this, I was thinking the little one well, forgot his name now. Um, I can't remember either of their names. Yeah, um, I'm not very good with names as, Canna, as Canna. listeners to this podcast. Frank, Frank, Canna? Frank. There was a there was Frank. a Frank, but I can't remember. There was a Frank the and a Steve. One. I think he's Frank. Yeah. So I always thought he was the submissive one, and that's the way the story was leading us anyway. Mm. But by the end of the fourth episode, I'm beginning to think now Steve is probably the more submissive one. Mm. But it's a very strange type of submissive because he's also protective at the same time. Yeah. You know, so I'm interested in the dynamic between these two because I think it's it's humanising the monster in a way for us to understand what we society can do to prevent these people from becoming monsters to begin yeah, with. Yeah, and I think that the thing is that they're not like scary Bump in the Night monsters. No. They're just two men who've been who've had very rough, very yeah. disadvantaged lives and who are not clever no. and who do stupid things. Yeah. And and the system uh, overlooks them and, and the system, system just keeps punishing them. them over and over and over again. And, and if they had gotten proper treatment and if, if jail hadn't been what it was for mm. them, this could very well have been avoided or yeah. the whole situation could very well have and been avoided. And even that talk about the, the isolation that they feel. Um, so if we hope to rehabilitate criminals, which I'm hoping is yeah, what just the system is meant to do to rehabilitate these criminals, does it actually help them to isolate them to such a degree that they, they don't feel they belong anywhere? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, like even thinking about other true crime things we've watched and talked about, mm. um, I just, I worry too about even people who are innocent, right, and mm. who have been falsely convicted. Yeah. Um, it's so hard for them to integrate ha- back yeah, into society. Yeah, how, how do you live? Yeah. If you've lived 20, 30 years in jail and then you're released because it's found that you're you're innocent or even mm. just released because your time is up, how do you become a functional member of society again? It would be, I, I imagine... It would be virtually impossible. Very, yeah, it would be so difficult. I mean, you'd have to have a huge network of support. And what do you do for jobs? Who's well, going to hire you? you? Yeah, nobody's going to hire like, you. You know, like, it's not just, you know, oh, you've been given a five-year sentence and that's bad for and five it, years. Yeah. It's bad forever, you know? Yeah, because now it's on your record. Um, and the problem is I can't think of a way around that because by the same token, you know, they've done something wrong, so obviously they, they do need to be... We're talking about the rightfully accused mm. one, not the wrongfully accused ones. Um, so, yes, they should be um, punished, but... There has to be something in the rehabilitation process that allows them to integrate into mm. society so, so they feel that they belong to society mm. and therefore don't feel a need to reenact those crimes or redo Yeah, that's right. And how again. do you do that? Yeah, yeah. And how do you do that? So, you, yeah. so ideally you don't want criminals to, to be re- repeat criminals. And every podcast I've listened to or every you know, case I've listened to always suggests that once a criminal has gone into you know, the system, that's it. They just continually yeah, they, repeat yeah. over and over and over again. It's very hard for them to get out of that cycle, and we certainly see that in detective. And we certainly see, yeah, we see, and these two, they're repeat criminals. Yeah, um, they're just a a string of things. And the only difference between the two of them is that one is very young, he's like in his early twenties, and the Mm. other is, is, um, I think, middle aged now, in his Mm. mid or late forties or something Mm. like that. So we've got a hardened criminal and a a juvenile criminal, I suppose. Mm. But obviously, going going down the the same same, track, yeah, and moving in the same direction. Mm. And I think that's what for me, is the, is the really interesting part about this story is that we're, we're seeing that this is a pattern. This isn't something that's isolated. Mm. Um, and this is something that, I don't know, I, I think it's a little bit more hopeful because it points it to the fact that we can do something about it. Mm. When we look at a lot of these serial killers, we think, oh, there's, how can you prevent a Ted Bundy? You know, how yeah, can you yeah, prevent yeah. You know, any of those serial killers? 
But this one, I feel, could have been prevented. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and, and I think that points towards something probably a little bit more hopeful. But again, I'm speaking early because there's still one more episode left. Yeah, so watch this space. Yes. Yeah. Um, so my first one that I want to talk about is, um, it's one made by the CBC in Canada, um, and it's called Hunting Warhead. I do like the CBC, I have to say. Yeah, they do some really good stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, Anyway, so Hunting or Head is um, really, even though it's made in Canada, it um, features an Australian subplot as well, as well as Norwegian. It's a sort of multi-country investigation. Into, international. It's international. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, it's an inter- investigation into um, child um, assault. Child. They make a point in the um, podcast of saying child assault rather than um, sexual assault rather than child porn because it puts the emphasis on the assault rather mm. than the titillation, I suppose. No, that's a good distinction um, to make. Yeah, yeah so I think I'll, I'll try and do that. Um, anyway, so it's about this multi-country investigation in which um, these two sort of white hat hackers um, go on the dark web and they track down um, a the owners or the administrators of this website, um, this revolting website where all of these disgusting images of children are being um, distributed. And they find out that it is a police officer in Brisbane who is running the website, and so they think this is odd. Then they find out that what's actually happened is not that a police officer in Brisbane is um, running it in a purposeful way, but because what has happened is they've actually found who the real um, administrator of this website is, and they ha- are pretending to be him and mm-hmm. take over his... Because Warhead is his like online identity. And they've taken over his online identity in order to catch the people making and distributing the images, yeah. as well as those downloading images. Um, so it what they're doing is essentially taking on the role mm. of a child, of a pedophile, really, um, in order to trap, entrap other pedophiles, which um, the first... Um, episode is not really indicative of the series as a whole in that it's a lot of like computer tech stuff which I didn't find that um, compelling (laughs) but later on um, as you get into the ethical conundrum that they face I think it's really interesting because on the one hand they are participating and distributing child sexual assault images some of which are of extremely young children and I have to say this podcast was just about the most difficult podcast to hear that I have ever listened to in my life but I found it so worthwhile and interesting and necessary so there the ethical conundrum is do you continue Mm. to run this site distribute images which are foul Mm. because you can catch people that way yes I mean I, I did listen to the first episode um and all the technical jargon i didn't mind too much but it, it didn't mm. uh, attract i agree me the first episode yeah. is not yeah. it's so, not very compelling but you know what you've described there is actually quite interesting because that that was a twist i sort of didn't see coming that they were police officers yeah. um but even in the first episode they did talk about this idea of so they got these images and they need to check whether they're pornographic or you know, mm. um, what was the term child assault mm. images but they couldn't they didn't want to look at it Mm, so they found a way to do so it that, without. Yeah, found yeah. a way to, uh, of doing without actually looking mm. at it, and I thought that was quite brilliant. Mm. So, so that, so I think, yeah, I mean, from just even that episode alone, you can sort of see the ethical yeah. issues at play. Well, you know, one one thing that was particularly kind of thought provoking is they actually read out one of the images. Mm. One, sorry, not one of the images. One of the messages that a police officer posing as a warhead mm. wrote. 
And it was gross and disgusting. Yeah. But when you ask that, when you talk to the police, they were like, well, we have to because... You the, have to play the part. You have to play the part yeah. because if you are if you come in and you're pretending, you're taking on the identity of somebody who is a pedophile, mm. right, and you come in and start saying, well, child sexual assault is bad, right, everyone's going to know it's not you. So yes. you've, got to, you've got to play the role and be convincing. So you've got to, you've got to ape the tone. Yeah. Um, you've got to distribute the images. You've got to make everybody feel because these are all people who are on high alert. Right, because these are these are pedophiles. They're mm. engaging in child sexual assault. They know they could be in very big trouble if they're mm. caught. So if anything happens to yeah to 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 tip off that something has been infiltrated, then they then they'll just go elsewhere. Mm. And they were even concerned when they were setting all this up. And the this police officer is in Brisbane, which is the Australian connection. When they were um, setting this up, they were really kind of had to go quick yeah. because he posted once a month on a specific day in the month, like mm. whatever it was, I don't know, um, like just say the second Tuesday of the month. And they were getting like within 24 hours and they were like, if I don't post on that day, everyone's going to know. Mm. Everyone's going to know that this this has yes. been infiltrated. And they had to even convince the other administrators that they were still that person. Mm. Anyway, so from there, so that's really interesting and, and it goes into quite a bit of detail and I think, you know, it asks you to consider all these things. Um, but then from there, it, they do like a little, some set pieces. And one episode set piece is about the roommate of the real warhead. And he's, he had no idea that he was living with a pedophile. And um, he almost is, although this sounds absurd because it's such a heavy subject matter, he's almost like the, the comic relief because he has no idea what's happening. And then all of a sudden he's thrust in the middle of this huge international scandal scandal investigation and he's just so clueless um so that's one episode and then they do one episode with a family member of warhead which is heartbreaking because she's got young children put draw the dots Mm. um then the last episode or the last two episodes i think um he talks the the guy who is the host whose name completely escapes me because i'm bad with names um he interviews warhead oh so the real warhead, the one that really set mm. up this site. And he's the most disgusting person alive. But it's so interesting to see the way he tries to not justify what he says, but pre- present it as a pathology. Mm. And he's... Um, I don't think this actually applies to him. But they, they do talk to psychologists who say, yeah, this guy is a narcissist and... Um, a psychopath and a pedophile yes but then they talk about pedophilia as like a sexual attraction that some people feel because he warhead talks about how he's always been even as a child himself like a mm. you know 13 year old being sexually attracted to children mm. um and they talk about it as a pathology and like some people in the world do genuinely feel this but mm. don't act upon it mm. yeah. and there's no way and the thing is that psychologists don't really know much about it because everyone is so rightly hesitant to talk about it yeah. that they can't really do much, much research. Yes. Because you can't, you know, like it's... Well, especially in the, the current political climate because then, you know, that's that would be the end of your Yeah, life. I know. But, I mean, can you imagine, like... And if you're one of those people who is born with this sexual attraction to, to young children, you're mm. not going to go shouting about it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you, you, you shut up about it even if you never act upon it. Mm. You don't tell people... And so they can't do much research, 
but they're actually looking to do research and want to find out more about why this happens. And they've actually like done some interesting studies on like genetics and, and like how it seems to be related to all of these factors in, in um, not that it's inherited, but um, it's genetically coded. It's genetically coded in, in mm. weird ways and, and there's a lot of like um, other sort of indicators of, of this sort of thing going on. Um, because I wonder also how much it has to do with um, imprinting. So yeah. I read a really interesting book, um, God, several years ago. Oddly enough, I stumbled across this book while I was looking up Agatha Christie. You have no idea <laughs> to how the two are related yeah. exactly. But it talked about sexual imprinting, especially amongst um, men, and the idea that a, a male's first sexual encounter mm. often imprints them for the rest of their life mm. to that towards that type of attraction. Yeah. So, for example, one of the case studies they did was um, this uh, guy whose first sexual encounter when he was 13 was, was with a um, teacher, uh, and she was a redhead. <laughs> and from that point onwards, he was permanently attracted to redheads. <laughs> like, it, it just it left a, a mark on him, and that's, that mm. became then his sexual attraction. So I wonder how much... You know that may have something to do with it. I mean, it's yeah. it's one of those really interesting things about psychology that they can never really sh- uh, prove, I guess, how these things yeah. come about. It's always just theories, and uh, all we do is just work with the best we, we possibly can. Uh, mm. And so that's why I found this book imprinting so interesting because mm. I thought, oh, I've never come across this idea before. Mm. And then when, when I read it, I thought, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's right. But then I'm sure there are exceptions to the case. You know, people whose first sexual encounter have nothing to do with the way that they yeah. you know, turn out. So, for example, you know, homosexual men who may have had their first sexual encounter uh, with a woman but yeah. never end up, you know, being attracted to, to women to begin with anyway. There's, you know, um, a lot of anecdotal evidence of, of that type of attraction as well. So... I think that's part of the problem with psychology and that there's always exceptions to the case because we're also individual to a certain yeah, degree. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, and that, the, the podcast picks up on that idea mm. because it, it looks at, I mean, it doesn't interview anybody, but the psychologist who is a, sort of an expert on this area has said, you know, he's he had, he knows of and had worked with people who have these desires but never act upon them and feel shame and, and mm. guilt. But the problem is they don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Like there is no... Um, you know, program um, or or support, and well, it's it's a taboo. To I mean, it's too taboo. It's, it's, it's completely it's too, taboo. It's too taboo yeah. to think about supporting those people yeah. because we just see those people as disgusting, terrible monsters. And, and I think even you know, I mean, the people who don't act on it, even if you do offer a support program, they would just see it as entrapment. It's your yeah. way of trying to lure them. Yeah, out, and, and yeah, exactly, you know, and they would that would mean that they would have to admit it uh, publicly. Yeah, publicly. Um, in this case, and the, the show makes a real distinction, and he's very scrupulous in the way that he deals with it. In this case, he hides behind that, I think, because mm. um, you know he presents himself as like, well, it's not my fault. I've had these desires since I was a kid myself, and mm. you know, what can I do? I I genuinely feel this, and you know, how would you feel if you were if you knew that you had this hanging over you your whole life? I think in this case, he doesn't care, actually, um, about the the harm that he's inflicted. And that comes across, especially when they um, they go to the court case. That's, um, yeah, that's really interesting, because it, it actually reminded me of another uh, of an episode from a podcast that I, I do love listening to, but I haven't listened to for a while, uh, of course, um, Science Lab, I think. Radio Lab. Radio Lab, sorry, mm-hmm. that's the one. Um, and they looked at this one episode and, and this idea of guilt. Uh, and one guy in particular who was epileptic and he had a uh, operation which removed part of his brain, the part that censored 
um, his thoughts, his actions, everything. Uh, and what he f- ended up doing was he ended up going on all, all these pornographic binges and it went from straight you know, heterosexual pornography leading through to homosexual and then through to um, uh, bestiality and all sorts of really, like, you know, and eventually leading to child pornography, which mm. is what he ended up being arrested for. And then when he was charged um, with possession, the, the argument was, well, biologically, he didn't have that ability to um, control those impulses no, because that part of his brain was removed. So, so therefore, how culpable uh, is how he? How culpable yeah. is it? And the judge's ruling was a really, really interesting ruling because she gave him a very lenient ruling, but she said the distinction is choice. Yeah, that's Even right. though you didn't have that ability to, you know, to filter your thoughts, on a day-to-day basis, you were still able to make decisions every mm. step along the way and say, I choose not to do that. So at some stage, you chose to click onto those images. You chose to download mm. those videos. Yeah. And that's where, you know, yes, you had less of control than most other people would, but that choice yeah, was still yeah. within you. It wasn't like you were completely, you know, choiceless in the matter. And I would go back to, I suppose, you know, th- this guy with, with the same idea. So yeah. if you had two examples of people who um, both were genetically coded, to be you know, predisposed towards uh, mm. attraction towards children, one who chooses not mm. to act and he who chooses to act, then the legal system is right in a way to yeah. punish the one who chooses to act as opposed to one who chooses not to act. Yeah, that's should, right. You know, there should be a differentiation. There should be a differentiation between these two and the differentiation is between choice. That's yeah, that's right. right. I mean, happily, he is in jail for the rest of his life. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, uh, the, the, it really makes clear that he is definitely choosing to do this. And, and secondly, and even more disturbingly, he has no sympathy at all for the victims. Um, it's quite disgusting, actually. Uh, so it is um, really difficult listening, and I did find it overwhelming at times. Mm. But um, it was so interesting and I think worthwhile thinking about, both in terms of like all of those ethical issues around... Probably a warning for those who... Yeah, warning for those who may be triggered, please don't listen to this. But, mm. um, you know, if you if you can, I think it's really interesting. Ethical issues around the internet and all of those sorts of distribution networks. And, you know, somebody made the point at the end that, okay, well, we've, we caught 200 people from this sting. That's great, 200 people who are not engaging in this behaviour. But, however, there's, you know, X thousands, millions, of course, you know, who, mm. who just go to a new site. Um, and they did shut it down eventually. Um, okay. But, yeah, there's, it, the problem is ongoing. Um, as, so that was one really interesting part. The other interesting part was this specific, the real warhead and what he did. Anyway, so that's finding, hunting, sorry, hunting warhead. Okay, great. So my second recommendation is one that Steph also likes. I uh, like everything. Yes, you like everything. So <laughs> Detective Shrap, not so much. Uh, no, I, I don't mind it. Yeah, anyway. Never mind. Uh, but this one is Noble Blood. And uh, this is, for those who've listened to a lot of podcasts, uh, produced by Aaron Mankey, who did the the, the, the wonderful show, uh, whose name's please Law. Law. I remember that. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I was listening to for quite a while, and then I just stopped because there's I, so I, many episodes. Yeah, <laughs> I fell out with Law as well. Just not because I didn't like it, just because it's too much. Yeah, yeah. it just got too much after a while. But this one I really like because it looks at historical figures um, and the kind of crimes associated with some of the more infamous historical figures and um, aristocratic or or royal figures yeah uh, hence noble yeah yeah, hence noble blood Mm. Uh, and i think it does a really good job of uh painting 
the scene of, of uh, painting the time and place and putting you into that era. Um, mm. So often a lot of these are historical cases, mm. um, as the title probably alludes to anyway. Uh, and it really captured me with the first episode because, you know, as most uh, people would have heard about Marie Antoinette. Mm. But this one told it from a perspective that I hadn't sort of encountered before, mm. uh, which was painting Marie Antoinette in a slightly different light, you know, not as that you know, almost epitome of Privilege. excess, you yeah. know, um, but rather uh, quite a normal human figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be honest, I just love you know, some of these really bizarre and twisted stories um, about you know, nobility and, and the kind of crimes that are invested in them. Uh, but I'm, I also really like the way they end every episode with a historical follow-up. Yeah. As in, you know, this is what... Uh, it's like a little side story mm. that gets developed into a really nice way to close that particular chapter to mm. it. Um, so my favourite episode is probably still the, the Marie Antoinette mm. episode, but it's one of those really great um, shows to listen to because you can listen whenever. Like you can just yeah, it's pop not an a episode. Series, yeah, it's not it's, a yeah. series. You don't have to. You're not. You don't have to listen to episode one. Follow it all the way through to twelve. You can hop in at whichever episode you feel like, and just you know. So if you've got 20, 30 minutes to kill, yeah, uh, the episode's fairly short anyway. It's mm. just it's a quick way to you know get a little bit of history and a little bit of um, strangeness you know filtered yeah. into your life. Uh, but but also some of those stories are actually quite human and, and fascinating too, and makes a lot of interesting links to other things that I that I really like as well. Yeah, and I think Dana Schwartz does a really good job of situating you in the historical period because mm. um, as somebody who does a lot of work on Queens, yeah. um, I, I knew a lot of these stories. I didn't know all of these stories, but I knew a lot. Um, but you don't need to know anything. And she, she mm. gives you enough context in a very short amount of time yes. to make sense of what's happening. And she also, I think, what is the sort of the theme that runs throughout all the episodes is that you can get away with a lot. Yes. Um, but not you, everything. But not everything. Um, if you are noble or royal. But also, the other sort of thing that runs through is that all of these noble aristocratic royal people are people. Yeah. And that means that they have the same foibles and flaws and mm. problems and picadillos and idiosyncrasies as the rest of us. The problem is that they have power mm. and you know, most of us do not or have circumscribed power. Um, so it's it's interesting on a kind of socio-political level and a historical level, obviously. Yeah, I mean, uh, have you listened to the, the, the latest episode? I can't remember what that was. Queen Marco. Oh, yes. Yeah, the, uh, the St. Bartholomew Massacre. Yeah, yes, yes. Which I knew a little bit about. Yeah, I know quite a lot about um, that because that's Tudor period. Yes. I know it from the English perspective, yeah. Yeah, so again, it's one of those, um, and, and exactly what you've mentioned, if you don't know <coughs> anything about that mm. period in time, she does do a fantastic job of mm. filling you in on all the historical nuances that were going around in a very, mm. very short time period. So it's a pretty good way to get a sort of a shot of a history lesson. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and like for the true crime, you know, connection, um, most of them are around crimes or misdemeanors yes. or... Um, well, this one was, what, 30,000 um, Protestants yeah. massacred. Yeah, the Huguenots, yeah, um, by the... <laughs> the Catholics. Yeah, the... The French aristocracy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a bit... Um, just because I happen to know that era, um, era I think that Catherine de' Medici's role in it is mm. unclear, and I don't think 
that was potentially as clear as it could have been in okay. that in that podcast. But I think the point remains that yes, it was a grave historical massacre and a terrible thing, and you you certainly get enough to to kind of get at why this is happening in that particular moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's noble blood. Um, my next one, I, which you have also listened to as well, yes. so we've listened to, we've both listened to pretty much all of these except for Hunting Warhead, yes. um, is... Which I did listen to the first episode, but I just yeah, couldn't bring true. myself to, to, to finish it. Yeah, you'll have to go back to it. Yes. Um, is Hitman. Yes. So Hitman is a podcast about a book. <laughs> um, and it is a podcast about a book that is very unusual because it's a book about how to become a Hitman. Mm. Um, and the podcast has two strands. One strand is sorting out what is this book? Where does it come from? Who wrote it? And like the ethical, the kind of associated ethical issues of should one write and distribute a book that encourages or or at least educates people about how to get away with murder, mm. quite literally. Um, and the other strand of the podcast is people who used it. Yes. <laughs> to murder. Quite inept ways, I have to say. Um, once mm. again. <laughs> so I really love this podcast. I really like the um the two both both strands of the investigation yes. but i have to say the thing that actually interests me more than this person used this book <laughs> to guide their hit manning um then the investigation into where this book came from this publisher is a very strange publisher of very strange titles yes and the author i mean i don't really want to spoil the big sort of surprise well maybe we should give spoiler warning. spoiler warning because we have to talk about it yeah, that it's, yeah. yeah. So, spoiler warning. Yes, go away now. Yes, come back. Go. Listen, come back. All right, you're back. <laughs> that was nice. Um, it's a woman. Yes. <laughs> Which no one expected. No one expected. Yeah. Yes. Um, and quite a unusual woman, too. Because yes. the more they, they talk about it, the more problematic she yes. started to become. So, it started off, think, you're thinking, okay, well, she was just a housewife who just wanted to make a few quick bucks and yeah never took it very seriously never took it seriously yeah. but then you start to get these strange connections with her yes and i mean by the end of it i was a little bit ambivalent about yes. her as a figure well she may have been basing it yeah on a real hitman yes <laughs> you know who she it, is entangled with yes yes it's very odd um, yeah so it's 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 a really, really odd story and, and i did find that absolutely that aspect of it really, really fascinating. I mean, I found the entire series really, really fascinating. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, but I was also thinking while that whole investigation was going on about the ethics of, um, I suppose, anonymity. Mm. If you wrote something and your desire is to be anonymous in that process, mm. should people respect that anonymity? Yeah, and at what point does mm. that stop? You know, like... You know, I'm very comfortable with the idea of, like, you don't pursue somebody who wants to be anonymous because they want to be anonymous. They've chosen that, Mm. so you should respect that. But at what point is that, well, she's done something ethically wrong and people have, whether she meant it as a joke or whatever, or just a way to make money, Mm. the point is that people have used it. Yeah, but then that also raises the other, again, ethically problematic issue of, how much uh, can something be held account- yeah, that's accountable? Yeah, right. Yes. Now, so if you wrote a violent story and somebody 
acts out that the violent story, story. Yep. are you then you know ethically culpable in, in well yeah time? i mean occasionally you'll get like crime novels about that like yeah. and you know i wrote a crime novel and then somebody carried it out exactly how it was in the novel yeah, so I mean, therefore the, am i implicated the most famous example is uh, clockwork orange yeah that's you know, right where, where people yeah. actually reenacted a lot yeah. of the crimes in clockwork orange uh, to the point that kubrick who, who made the adaptation was so horrified by it that he actually pulled it out of circulation yeah um and so i'm i'm a little bit I'm still not sure how I feel about that that mm. issue. Like, you know, how much can we put blame on a work? Um, yeah, because, I mean, really, it's not actually the book that's to blame because these people, like, have made the decision to murder somebody. Yeah, and they just wanted an instruction manual. They just wanted an instruction manual. Like, so therefore, and they've that, made that decision. So therefore, presumably, they're going to do it even if they don't have exactly. an instruction manual. And is that any different for them um, to them, I don't know, picking up a James Bond book and reading that and getting inspiration yeah. or ideas from that and yeah. doing that. So that's the part that I'm still not sure about. The but, only, on, yeah, yeah. but on the other hand... Um, like, the other, exactly. If, if it was a work of fiction, I would be completely yeah. saying, no, no, the, the fiction cannot be held responsible responsible for uh, for the crime. But it's the fact that it was written with only one sole purpose, which is to educate on how to be a hitman. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of somebody being able to look up a, a book or mm. anything on the internet site about how to make or use weaponry. Yes. You know, I'd prefer that information not be available. Mm. But then it goes back to that yeah. whole freedom <laughs> of hard. speech. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, because... And censorship. And censorship, which, you know, I'm totally against. I don't believe that anything should be censored. But, but then in... this raised, you know, an issue that I hadn't... You know, I still can't work my way through because yeah. on the one hand, I don't want to say, yes, we should censor materials. Yes. But on the other hand, I think, but this is really problematic material. Yeah, like I hate, I instinctively shudder at the thought of, of censoring or pulling a book or pulping a book because mm. of its content. Yes. You know, like we don't, Hitler's Mein Kampf, for example, yeah. terrible, pernicious, just book that has yeah. done untold damage in the world. But it still needs to be sold and yeah. read and considered for all sorts of scholarly, good scholarly reasons and mm. historical reasons. So it sits very weirdly with me, the idea of pulping a book or censoring a book or burning a book mm. or anything like that. But then on the other hand, I just hate the thought, and I'm very uncomfortable with the thought, of a person who has decided I want to commit murder, I don't know how, having a resource to consult yes. and then subsequently putting into practice that because then I kind of think, well... And almost getting away with it. Yeah, that's right. And then you could want to commit a murder but not know how or just be too inept to kind of Mm. plan it. Um, So therefore it wouldn't happen, you know? Yeah. So, So, I mean... And they were really dumb, I have to say. Yeah. (laughs) We're not dealing with the brightest criminals. No, no. Um, The way that it it was put into practice was just... Yeah, but, I mean, it also got me thinking about, well... What if they got the information off the internet? Yeah, that's right. But then, but then, would the users then also be culpable for sharing specific information? Well, I kind of think the publisher. There is an onus on the publisher of whoever publishes that website and whoever Mm. publishes the book. Well, I mean, the the publisher of this one is particularly problematic because their whole purpose was to publish, in a way, very you know uh, terrible books. This sort of book, precisely this sort of book. Books that um, and you know how to build a bomb, how to yes. how to get away with murder. So their whole aim is to publish things um, that 
you don't find anywhere else mm. for good reasons. Yes, for very good reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but their argument is freedom of speech. Their argument is you know, freedom of the press. They should be able to publish whatever they want to. And it's taking it in a way to a particular extreme, which I feel very uncomfortable arguing about because for the most part, I do believe in you know freedom of speech and freedom of the press. You know, I don't think anything should be censored. But maybe it's the point in which it does that is a high likelihood of the causing harm in the world. Yes. And that's where this particular example really just yeah. goes right on that line. Yeah. And that's where I find myself in a very, very uncomfortable territory because I'm not quite sure how I feel about it because I've got two instinctive drives happening simultaneously. Yeah. One saying, no, 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 freedom of speech, and the other saying, but this is a horrible thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. It should be banned. <laughs> Yeah, so, and, and then they're I, conflicting against each other in horrible ways. And I don't know who I think. I mean, I think the publishers are culpable. Yes. In the murder of, of people who who have read this book, and I think the author is culpable. But I don't know what degree of culpability to ascribe to them, because I think that yeah. I think you have to consider that they've done something wrong that has caused harm in the world. Mm. But obviously, they didn't do it themselves, and they can they can turn around and say, well, that person made a choice to do whatever they did. Which yeah. is true, so I think like I don't I don't know where to to, to put that line of culpability. Well, I, I think the way that the case was actually handled is probably the, the best way. So they wouldn't have been able to try it in a, in a criminal court. Yeah. So they took it to a, a, a civil, yeah. civil court. Mm. And in a way, maybe that's the the line of responsibility mm. that you caused harm, then you pay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yeah, there's not a burden of, of kind of proof in that manner in the civil court as yeah. opposed to criminal court. And so they can say, you know, you, you tried to make money. Of, yeah, you tried to make money out of this and this person was harmed as a result of that. Yeah. So you owe this person yeah. X amount of money. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's probably the I mean, easiest still not, I, way, maybe. You yeah, know what I mean? Like I, the least kind of complex way. Yeah, I mean, in a way it's an annoying um, case study because... You just, I just feel like saying, you know, if you were good, decent people, you just wouldn't publish these things. You just wouldn't write these things. And yeah, we, that's right. We wouldn't have this issue. Mm. But I think these people are, are pushing these very, very specific envelope mm. as far as they possibly can. And this is as far as they possibly can. And then they do this disingenuous, like, well, it was all a joke and it wasn't yeah, meant to be taken seriously. But, yeah. like, it just takes one person to take it seriously. Yeah. Which obviously happened. Mm. And it's not, <laughs> it's not written as a joke. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there were very clear lines when you're reading something, you're like, okay, well, that's a... That, you know, and that's... you could write a jokey version yeah. of this. You could write a, like, well, if you're a hitman, you know, like, mm. buy yourself a trench coat. You yeah. know, like, that sort of, like, tongue-in-cheek, like, I'm going to write a, mm. a a spoof of, like, hitman movies or something like that. You know, mm. like, the figure of the hitman in, in movies as it being this kind of mm. very clever, glamorous kind of figure. Um, like a James Bond-esque figure or something. Yeah. Um, so you could write a, a spoof, but this is not it. This no. is this is very like it's an instruction manual. It's with photographs. Yeah, like and with like practical tips. Yeah, like really actually very good quite practical, good practical yeah. tips. Yeah, which kind of annoys me because yeah. I'm like, you know, what? Well, that's actually quite a good yeah. tip if you are a criminal wanting to escape or wanting to not not get caught. Yeah. You know, it's, um, so it it is annoyingly practical yes and annoyingly sort of competent mm. <laughs> you know yeah so this person has obviously done their research and actually you know, yeah it's not like somebody just sitting down and say oh i'm just gonna make a farce out of this yeah like if which if, you can excuse if it was the yeah case. but like you or i could do it but we don't know yeah. so it would be like not practical you know what i mean yeah. it would be just 
we just like, yeah imagination you know? just like well, yeah. I imagine you would have to do this yeah 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 well, but it would be like gleaned from like over the top television shows you know what I mean yeah or, or you know listen to a lot of true crime podcasts yeah listen, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it no it's certainly it's an interesting case and I think the the show does a good job of containing both sides of that story and and um, thinking about the ethical issues that arise and, and thinking about it not in a like no, what do you think kind of way, but in a, mm. like, let's tease this out and continue to tease this out. And and I was actually surprised that they found the writer because yeah. at the beginning it's not clear whether they'll ever do that, but they mm. do, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was quite surprised at, at the two strands because originally it just starts off with one strand, yeah, which is the um, the bumbling you know, assassination or murder attempt, or actually committed murder, but you know, yeah. uh, capturing them. And then it leads off into this second strand, which yeah. you know, is, is where it starts to become quite an unusual podcast. Meteor, yeah. Yeah, it becomes yeah, very, very complex. Instead of just like, a murder happened, mm. then this is what happened in terms of the investigation, which is like... Yeah, you and know. I also find the um, the presenter, whose name I've completely forgotten. Yeah, well, <laughs> don't ask me. I'm we're terrible at names, Yeah, we? <laughs> we could do a monochrome of research before we start this, I know, of course. I know, I yeah. know. But I, I actually quite like her. I mean, I, I like her ethical stance on a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. issues that she's taken. You know, I find she's not as problematic as some uh, other presenters that I've yeah. sort of listened to. I went, mm, I really don't like where you're going with this. You know? Yeah, she's I got I she treated her thing with a lot of respect. Yeah, she did. She never sensationalised things. She was thoughtful. I liked her voice. I mm. liked the way she presented. And I thought the writing of the, like the scripting of the podcast was really good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we have gone hilariously over time. We said we were going to try and do this in under 40 minutes and we have blown our time. Um, so we're going to have to wrap it up there. But we will always be back to talk about more true crime yes. properties because, as you picked up by now, Jimmy and I are widows. Yes. <laughs> so thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Steph. Um, if you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be really, really spectacular. If you've got a um, suggestion for a true crime podcast or documentary or book or whatever that you think we should read, um, drop us a line at fromthelighthouse.org or just drop us a line about anything. Um, maybe don't send us your Hitman books, no. though. We will not read them. No. Um, we'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks. Bye.